<clears throat> so I'll start by reading you one translation of the Metta Sutta from the Buddha, the teaching on Metta. And I'm going to take the liberty of changing the word should to can, just because it so easily hooks into the who we should be. Right? <clears throat> This is what can be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. <clears throat> Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, the medium, the short or the small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and those far away, those born and those about to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. As a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart one can cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. This is the last part now, and this is, I want you to see where this is going. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one can sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desire, is not born again into this world. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So you may have had many responses or reactions, or bits you liked, bits you didn't like, bits you recognize, bits you think, no chance of that. And I just want to put that very last line in brackets, is not born again into this world. I always used to have a problem with that line. Um, but hopefully tonight, and as we go along the retreat, we can start to understand what it really means. What it really means to not be born again into this world. <coughs> so I think what's being pointed to at the end of the sutta there is the relationship between the divine abiding of the metta and the clarity of vision of the depth of seeing, the possibility of seeing, freed from fixed views, what it means to be liberated, actually, to come out of the cycle of birth and death, here and now.
So, <clears throat> I imagine all of you have had at least moments of abiding here and now. You might not have the self-image that allows you to say it was a divine abiding, right? But actually, to abide here and now without contention, with the intention toward loving kindness and goodness, this is a divine abiding. And yes, it can deepen and widen and be limitless. And you've probably seen when we are abiding here and now in this divine abiding, when there's less contention with ourself and the world, we're kind of open, gentle, upright, here. It's easier to be here. It's easier to be here. We're less obstructed by our normal obstructions when we're Oh, abiding, okay, thank you. To abide is to stay. It means to stay. Right, when we, it's like, there's a song called Abide With Me. It's like, stay with me. Right? In fact, that reminds me of something funny. Can I say? (laughs) 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 My my dumb director. Um, yeah, when I was first listening to teachings in Bodhgaya in India a long time ago in the Tibetan tradition, and I could hear this Lama teaching in a tent, and it was loudspeakers outside. I didn't want to go in because cause I had a self-image that I wasn't that kind of person that needed to go in a tent and listen to a Lama. But, so I listened outside, secretly. <laughs> and <laughs> and he, was, he was speaking in Tibetan, and there was a translator, and it was something going on and on and on about um, karma biting, karma biting, and I was like, "What's that? Karma biting?" And they talk a lot in the the way they translate in the Tibetan is calm abiding. When there's enough calm abiding, then we can start looking deeply into the seeing deeply. But I only heard karma biting, and I was terrified. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what my karma's like. Is that my karma's got to bite first, and then I can? <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're less obstructed when we're abiding when we're here. Right? Less obstructed by the normal pulls and pushes that pull and push us, as you know all about those. You see them in your mind all the time. (coughs) And we're less, in a way, when there's a a nice abiding, a pleasant enough abiding here and now, we're less pulled into the contact. We're less dependent, actually, upon what happens externally. Um, And there's some freedom in that, right? So, for example, I remember once being here and I wasn't doing an insight retreat I was doing a concentration retreat and there was some calm abiding some divine abiding and it was a time when the staff here were going through a rough patch and there was one cook whose his heart had gone out of the story he'd been here too long I think and his heart had gone out the story and one day he cooked for lunch mushrooms just they were baked. They weren't baked in anything. They were in a pan, just mushrooms sort of dry, <laughs> dried up. And potatoes, which was quite good, if you like me. I like potatoes. So some potatoes and just dried mushrooms. Dried <laughs> and, and I didn't really register how awful this was, because awful really is just one way of looking at it. I mean, if you're somewhere in the world, that would be incredible, right? Mm. Until the end of it, I was in a good moment that day. And my friend at the end, she'd sat six weeks and she said at the end, did you see that meal that was drying mushrooms? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what's happening at Guy House? <coughs> and it's like, oh, what? And then I remembered. But it's, it's so relative, isn't it? How are we perceiving things depending on where we are? Mm. Really, it's extraordinary. And we can go deeper into that. There's a lot of freedom there. 
So we're less pulled in that divine abiding to our normal ways that we go for refuge, actually in sense contact, and what we make of that. So I want to talk a little bit tonight about contact, sense contact, the contact that happens in the immediacy right now. The contact of our senses. And in the Dharma, probably most of you know, the six senses named. Six places, six places, we could say six doorways where contact is arising, moment by moment by moment. So it seems. And these are the five normal ones that we use in the West. <laughs> we use them all, but delineated as senses. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, the tangible sense, inner or outer. And the sixth is the sense door of the mind. In this case, mind as cognition. And we want to start looking in the retreat, and we will say more about how to do this, at the very juncture, at that very point of sense contact. Because this is a juncture from where the world begins, actually. Here's the juncture from where samsara is born or nirvana is understood and recognized. So it's a profound um, pointing to a doorway of both potential liberation and where what normally happens is a, a unconscious building ourself back into the cycle of birth and death. Birth and death you don't have to see necessarily as over lifetimes. That's not so interesting to me as the birth and death that arises within one very lifetime, moment by moment by moment, where, and I'll say a little bit more. So here's where we're pointing, sense contact. So right now, the sound the sight if your eyes are open, or closed actually, the touch of your bum on the seat, your hands on your knees, the contact of whatever is occurring in the cognition if there is. And here we're point, starting to point, we're, we're opening now, we're at a juncture where we're going to start having the meta practice parallel with practices that start to orient us to look into emptiness. So pointing to the way things are, and I want to read you um, what is chanted every day in some of the monasteries about, which I love actually, it's a kind of praise, kind of homage to the truth of the way things are the truth of Dharma, and Dharma here, it's Buddha Dharma, but it's, it's the Buddha Dharma is a sort of wider, or a, a, the point of the Buddha Dharma is to point to the Dharma of the way things are, the way things are. So it says, the Dharma, well expounded by the Blessed One, so it's well taught, it's well taught, and it says it's here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading onward to be experienced individually by the wise. Okay. There's this beautiful set of Pali words which I like, particularly this one, this ehi pasiko, which means come and see, come and see. I love it. It's apparently it's you know before the Dharma Buddha Dharma got all formularized into institutions that when somebody a monk or a woman or a man came to the Buddha for refuge and said yeah I want to study with you you know clearly there's something to see how they took the ordination was the Buddha said a pasiko it's like come and see come and see for yourself the invitation to come and look deeply, which is what you're doing. Ehi, 
It, well, when it's written in our script, it's E-H-I, Ehi Pasika. So let's look at this moment of sense contact and what normally happens in the untrained mind. All right, in the untrained mind, what normally happens. Well, you probably know, you've probably heard teachings on it and you probably see all too clearly and painfully for yourself. And we can wake up to this, what normally happens. It's extraordinary to be able to see it. This is what normally happens in the -the run-of-the-mill way of things. Contact arises. Here we go. Simple one. Right? Dependent on contact, there is feeling. Feeling here is what is the translation of Vedana, which is not emotional feeling, it's feeling of that this contact will be experienced by you as either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Right? So maybe you can just call out if you want, right? It'll be a different clap this time. It's not always the same. I had the experience once of being on retreat and a, man, a UPS man came in delivering something. He had a fag and he was smoking. And I thought, I don't like cigarettes, but it's like, mmm, pleasant. (laughs) (laughs) It's not supposed to be like that. Right, so we have to keep checking it out. We have to stay really current. It's not what we think. Mm. Stay really current for this dharma, right? So, anyone, for you? Neutral. Neutral. not a lot to this clap really. <laughs> it's pretty innocuous. Why don't you sing? <laughs> that's funny you should say that because that's coming later, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, dependent on that, there is a feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Depending on whether it's one of those three, a series of things happen. Right? So this is the t- part of the teaching that's called dependent origination, which is incredibly profound. And, and the Buddha says, you know, one who really sees dependent origination sees the Dharma. To really see this, to really understand it. It's not just intellectual, that's important. But really where it completely is known here and now. So, dependent on contact, there is feeling. Dependent on feeling, there is craving. Craving is used either towards something, right? That's the more normal way we think of it. It's like, I want that thing. Craving is also away from something. It's like, I don't want that thing. Because to not want that thing, we actually have to... We've A lot of processes have happened. We've actually taken hold of it. We've reified it out of the whole sea of reality and we've gone, not that. And we've taken hold and pushed it away. The craving is kind of the leaning toward or the leaning away and then dependent on craving there is clinging. Dunk. There's the piece we know from the second noble truth. The cause of suffering. There is clinging. We've literally taken hold of something. dependent on clinging there is becoming we start to become someone someone who pushes this away someone who wants that dependent on becoming there is birth I am someone who is good is bad is wise, is stupid is useless, is the best there's the birth. And as soon as we've taken birth, we're bound. There, we're, there's samsara. Is, it's already gone. It's going. Dependent on birth, there is old age sickness and death. That structure in which we've taken birth, I am the good one. We're bound to fall. It's bound to die. That cannot be sustained because it's not actually 
an ultimate truth. It's an idea, it's a self-image, dependent upon conditions. And when those conditions are no longer there for it, there's the, the dying back. For example, if I put it, make it concrete. <coughs> um, okay. I, I'm a good Dharma teacher. I am. No, no, I really am. All right? That's who I am. And then I come and take the seat, and you all walk out. <laughs> For example. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it can happen. It hasn't quite happened like that. What happens? What happens to that sense of myself? Devastating. Beg your pardon? Devastating. Devastating. Yeah. Devastating. Yeah. So there's the birth. I may not have even known I had that self-image. Because often we're telling ourselves things, good or bad, or this or that. We don't know we're in them until the conditions aren't there for them, and then we feel that, oh, shit. Nothing is supporting that sense of myself here. Which we get a lot here on retreat, because we're not getting the reflections that we're used to getting um, at home, which is sometimes a relief. It's a big relief, <laughs> because not everyone reflects us. You know, they think we're the bad ones, so we get that that reflected all the time. So many things can be a relief, but the ways that we go for refuge in self-images, senses of self, isn't being supported here, and we can feel a little bereft at times, as maybe you're not if you're 24-7 in a divine abiding. But, <laughs> but you know, the kind of bereft... Um, you know how it goes on retreat. If you don't know how it goes on retreat, it goes something like this. I think I mentioned it the other night, actually, when I was hanging around the bucket. It's like, Rose is looking perplexed. <laughs> hanging around the bucket in the washing up area, looking for some, actually what I was looking for was a self-reflection. Because um, there was my handwriting and that was me, and then I could tell myself the story of I wrote that, and I used to be a manager, and that was nice when I was a manager, and, right? So, just a, a reminder, when it's pleasant contact, of course, well, actually not of course, often the knee-jerk then, pleasant contact, uh, feeling is craving, usually, often I want more of, not always, with pleasant. I want more of, how do I get more of, cling, and then I'm the one who's in relation to this pleasant thing, I'm the one who's taken hold and reified something out of the whole sea of existence and my abiding becomes dependent on it, right? So my divine abiding isn't known as a divine abiding, it's known by my relationship with the chocolate, for example. With the neutral very interesting and as as we on retreat and sometimes you know sometimes we're working with something more dramatic or beautiful or, or horrible but there's a lot of territory that's in between that can at first appear neutral and the knee-jerk normal response is that we disconnect there's nothing much in it for me right and we train we actually start to i remember i think christina gave a whole talk about the neutral it's like, that's not what people think they're signing up for here. It's like if we advertised, call it meta and emptiness, but in praise of the neutral. Imagine, you know, probably you wouldn't come. Maybe you would. Maybe you would. Such a lot of territory there that... so profound if we can start to orient our interest... So, hmm, I think my page has got mixed up.
And this process happens like that. This building from contact into this web. Actually, I find myself in a web characterized by the sense of self, separate self, looking out at the world. Right? And depending on what we've built, depending on what that web is constructed of, what kinds of views, is how we're going to perceive the world in that moment. I think Rob mentioned it the other night. We've taken birth in a world, and the world appears according to the birth that I've taken. The world appears according to the birth I've taken. So if the birth I've taken is, I'm a useless person, then I look out at the world, and actually, amazingly enough, things start to confirm it. It's the lens of my perception, and I start to see that I'm useless. You know, the classic example, we'll open our eyes in the meditation. Everyone here, we're convinced they're all in a divine abiding. They all look like it. They're all radiant and beamy. You can see the light coming off them. Mm-hmm. And, and here I am. I'm struggling. My knee hurts. And, right, you see, I am useless. Right? The world appears according to the birth we've taken. So here's where the singing part comes. <laughs> you can join in if you want. Um, once I was doing walking downstairs in the kitchen, actually, and uh, not the kitchen, the... <laughs> <laughs> dining room. Where the f- there's probably something symbolic where that counter is where all the food is served. I was just walking up and down there. Anybody have that as their spot? <laughs> I think it was a little comforting or something, but I noticed this um, <clears throat> this process of taking birth and the, and the dying back, and a song came, which so maybe some of you have heard me sing, that characterizes it and illustrates it quite well, actually, for the example that I want to give. And... It's an old 40s song, a Cole Porter song, Every time we say goodbye, you can join in if you like. The point of it is starts with a couple saying goodbye to each other. Very, very classic kind of human thing, right? Saying goodbye to each other. There's the contact, the goodbye, the words, the seeing, the sight. Maybe there's even a feeling, maybe there's a touch in the heart that, that comes, right? But we're not normally content to stay at contact. Normally we make meaning from contact. We build a sense of our meaning from contact. And this is what happens in this song, and you can see the process of the building. More layers of meaning get added to the sense of self. There's two lines that I want to sing, two pieces where a different birth is taken each time. So see if you can spot it, and I will describe it afterwards. You can also feel it in the music. And some sometimes I think why certain we like certain music has that kind of intense. It has some intensity in a building, and you'll hear it. You'll hear the dying back as well. Okay, and you can perceive whatever your sense contact is when I sing as well. (laughs) At the same time. (laughs) So it goes. Every time we say goodbye I die a little. Every time we say goodbye I wonder why a little, why the gods above me, who must be in the know, think so little of me, they allow you to go. When you're near, there's such an air of spring about it. I can hear a lark somewhere begin to sing about it. There's no love song finer, but how strange the change from major to minor. 
every time we say goodbye. Can you feel the giddying ride that he or she is in? So human also, so human. And there's a giddying ride of every time we say goodbye, I die a little. There's the parting loss, the inevitable loss, actually. Every time we say goodbye, I start to wonder why. We start to not content really with just that dropping away. We wonder why, like what... Maybe you see this for yourself, when things aren't going easily or pleasurably, the wondering why is, you often, what have I done wrong? If things are difficult in your meditation, it's rare for someone to say, yeah, this is going well, when it might be, actually. Normally when things are difficult, it's, oh my God, you know, I can't do it, what did I do wrong? etc etc so yeah what's she say or he say I wonder why a little then there's the imputing why the gods above me who must be in the know suddenly there's a whole cosmology arisen the gods are above me and they know and they have the power over me and I'm a victim actually they think li- so little of me they think so little of me I'm, I'm um, I'm a kind of a failure. There's a self-image of a kind of failure there. When you're near, there's such an air of spring about it, and it's like that sometimes. It's not wrong. I don't think the Buddha was saying you can't enjoy each other. Right? He's just saying, be vigilant, pay attention, see what's going on. Sometimes there's an air of spring about it. Then the imputing. I can hear a lark somewhere begin to sing about it. Well, that's really a story. <laughs> well, okay, we'll go further. <laughs> okay, to pick where we're looking for today. <laughs> for today. That's a story, right? The lark, actually, also, if we're staying at contact, interested to stay at contact, there's a sound. There's a sound. She's imputing a meaning to the sound there, such that there's no love song finer, there's a peak, there's an elation, there's a kind of expansion, but it's dependent on the contact, because then it changes from major to minor, right? And that's what we're interested to see, the, 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 when the Buddha talks about independent from anything in the world. He's not talking about being aloof. He's not talking about being distant at all. It's independent from the contact defining my abiding, actually. So one place to check out, check this out, one place to work with this is with the formulation of body, speech and mind, which is a classic formulation in the tradition to attend to body, speech and mind, and I just want to uh, define those a little bit in this context. So body is body, so it appears. Speech, in this case, is the sankara, the karmic formation of... Um, these, all these things are karmic formations. Speech refers to the articulation, which doesn't necessarily have to come out of our mouth. We think of speech as coming out of our mouth. It's the speech we tell ourselves. That's speech as well, right? This usually up in this sort of cortex somewhere. Right? Spe- a lot of speaking going on up there. That's the vaji sankara. And mind, in this case, is the citta, which doesn't just refer to the head center. It refers to the whole of the resonant, sensitive, malleable, um, qualitative, 
darkness. <laughs> right? So, for example, the chitta, the, sen- the way we experience chitta is we can, we can experience as really open. You know, when you have a really open mind, it's really not just your head, right? It's a sense of openness. It's beyond your head. When we have the sense of contraction, the chitta is contracted. It's not just your head. There's the sense where everything's kind of hunkered down and closed in. And the chitta, it seems, is coloured or shows up or infused with different qualities at times. So the chitta can be infused with metta, can be infused with this um, a, a, a subtlety and a, a sensitivity and a lovingness or a gentleness or a passionateness. The chitta can be infused with uh, rigidity and hardness and brittleness, often a marker of when we've taken hold of something. Chitta can be infused with strength, uh, uh, determination, um, and many, many things. So one place you can look at these uh, senses of self that arise is through reference in the immediacy, here and now, to the body, the speech, and the mind. So let me give you an example. <coughs> um, You walk down the corridor, the guy house, that narrow bit near the kitchen. You have to be quite close up to someone there, don't you? There's lots of room there. The contact, you see someone coming, the contact actually in that moment is literally sight. You're seeing. There's literally just seeing. And what you're seeing, the immediacy of the contact before anything has been added, is simply colour, movement. Well, actually, in the moment, you may just see colour, form, right? Person. And then, of course, we know, it's like the next layer, we know it's a person. Of course we know it's a person, that's really useful to know it's a person, so we don't bump into it and... But usually a lot more happens than that, right? There's often a very quick kind of, well, who am I in relation to that person? I've got to know who I am here. I can't just walk past as an empty, sensing, contacting vessel of... And you might notice yourself, your body. You might notice it in body first. You might notice it in speech you might notice it in the quality of the chitta. takes a certain shape, takes a certain form. For example, anyone ever walked past someone and shrunk a little bit? <laughs> like, ah. And you might not notice what goes on, but you can start to see it now as we go further into the retreat. Start to walk by someone, and you, you notice you go a little weird kind of start turning away or your arm starts contracting and hardening and there's a you might not even hear a story in your mind but you know you've kind of locked up and the chitta the mind has become tense and um, hard might not even be any story but you can stop in that moment it's like who have I become here wow I'm not sure who I've become but they're someone I don't want Right? There's someone I don't want, and I've become either hard or frightened or whatever it might be. So you can stop right there and find out, oh, look at this, this is interesting. My body has become all... I wasn't like that five minutes ago, but suddenly I'm all hardened up. What just happened here? What just happened here? Let me find out. It's not wrong. They're not wrong. You're not wrong. Here's the investigation. Something has taken shape. We may not have seen the building blocks of the movement into birth, but we can start to see it in the moment we become awake to what's going on here. What's the story you're telling yourself in that moment? What is the the Vajji Sankara? What is the speech? Might be that you notice it in the Papancha. A beautiful word, if you don't know it from the teachings. The papancha might be something like... You might not catch any of that. You might just notice 
God, I don't know what they're doing here. You know, what they like there, they're all over the place. They're talking to everyone and they're, you know, they don't shop for their work period and they're, they're too loud. They're too, yeah, I don't know. If I was, actually, maybe I'll write a note to the director. The guy, that's probably a good idea. I'll write to him and say, no people who stomp. Or whatever, <laughs> and we start to develop a whole philosophy and possibly religion and you know <laughs> at least an institution we've created all dependent on something we never saw starting to get built there we didn't have a choice about yet you know it can equally be another way around of we see there's contact seeing seeing form color some liking happening. Oh, it's you again. You're the one with the shoes I really like. <laughs> or whatever. I really like your shoes. <laughs> the way you got them. Yeah, people who have shoes like that, they, it shows good taste. <laughs> and um, refinement, yeah. Yeah, not like that other one. There <laughs> you yeah, that's that's the right kind of resonance for me. Those shoes, <laughs> and we might be in some kind of divine abiding in that moment, but it's rather dependent on some kind of very limited <laughs> small view <laughs> that isn't. Really, it's not so portable to take home to to us because our world shrinks. You know, dependent on that, we're going to have a cult of those shoes type. You know, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the world shrinks. The cult develops internally around what is in and what is out. And this is where it's very profound. I mean, it's not just a small thing of you walking around the corridor. This is where the world gets born. This is where all of the splitting of self and other, which we know where that goes in the world. We know where that can go in the world. This is our work for ourselves and the world. So you may notice it on the level of the papancha, where the, the story is building. You go, oh look, I've just built a whole religion in my mind. I've just built a whole heavenly realm where only, only the X can go. You know, only the people who wear those shoes. <coughs> You might notice it on the level of the body. If you have a kind of kinesthetic sense, there may not be, you may not either hear the story or it may be below the radar of the awareness. We might not pick it up. Um, but we notice it on the level of body. Something starts to shift in our body and we see ourselves start to take shape, start to take birth, literally. We may notice it on the level of the chitta hardening, puffing up. The other thing sometimes happens in the corridor it might be we puff out a little bit. It's another sort of defensive strategy of, you know. Um, I know it for myself very well. You kind of puff out a little bit and harden around the chest a bit. It's like, no one's going to mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look at the photos while I was a school teacher in inner city London and Wow. Wow. What shape I took there. <laughs> really. We're very, you know, we're very dependent arisings. Some of them we're still carrying with us. We want to see them to get it really current to let some of them go. To start to let them liberate those ways we had to take shape can start to be seen and loved and met and known in the context that they are not the whole truth and that being can start to be liberated. Okay, so i better get on to the, the next bit. Okay, so... Hmm. I want to say, point to three things then, in finishing. You'll pick it up tomorrow morning in the instructions. Um. Okay. 
Um, okay. But I could. If I don't well, cover the little bits that might. Okay. So one place to work with this contact, the building into samsara, the building of the sense of self and the dropping back, is the practice of letting ourselves die, literally. We've taken birth as something, we see it, the awareness stops, and we see I'm in the middle of this shape of uh, the scared one, or in the middle, middle of the shape of the good one, the good meditator or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of the shape, and the awareness, the, 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 the immediacy, here and now, mindfulness, simple, coming to our feet, touching earth, and the spin, the whole spin of that structure, the whole spin of that self can be seen. The awareness is not the spin. The awareness of the spin is not the spin. We see the vortex of the spin. Right? We rest back into the awareness. We may sense the unpleasantness of it or the pride in it or whatever. And we let that vortex start to dissipate the energy of it. It's usually got some charge in it. And it can start to dissipate. We practice the dying. We stop building, basically. We stop reinforcing through the thought, through the contraction. We stop and the thing starts to die. We start to drop back. For example, um, I didn't know I had a self-image. Most often we don't know we have them till they're challenged, actually. Um, I was sitting at Amravati Monastery in, in Hertfordshire <coughs> a long, long time ago. One meeting a week with the t- Ajahn Samedo was ten day retreat, and um, that I had my meeting right, the group meeting right at the end, day eight or nine or something, and I had had this fantastic insight. I was really excited about it and wanted to share it, and that's beautiful. And he wasn't the least bit interested, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was the meeting ended. I mean, I started to say it, and he just kind of went on to the next person. And um, uh, it was kind of like, stopped me in my tracks. I didn't stop me in my tracks. He stopped me in my tracks. I was kind of left the meeting, outraged, of course, um, blaming him and blah, 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 you know, the whole rationale. Stood in standing meditation, felt the heat, all of that heat, the heat just pouring, pouring, staying at the contact with the heat as the spinning sense of self of came and went and letting the heat die back and the dropping of uh, dropping away. And there's a kind of a there's a kind of a dying, like a disappointment of oh okay, something didn't get supported. But actually that's good sometimes. Something didn't get supported and there was a dropping back dying back the dying back of that sense of what a great insight I've had the self image on that second place we can look is we can start to see it as we're building sometimes we can catch it as we're building does it make sense when I say building yeah, yeah, that, yeah. we can catch it as we're doing it somewhere along maybe that you've started to see that it's like ooh we, we can start to see the body contorting, the, something happens and we go, actually, I don't need to keep building here. I can stop right here. Not out of any self-criticism um, or hatred, but actually, where do I want to orient right now? I can stop the building right here and now, coming into present moment contact, feet below, sky above, air on face, here I am, not in a mind-made world. And the third thing, which is the place where we're going to start orienting a little bit more, um, is to stay at the contact, to stay at the arising of contact moment by moment by moment. What does that mean? Or what does it look like, actually? It looks like two things. 
You can try it now, actually. It's not an a- this is not abstract, and it's really not esoteric, but it's potentially very profound. Okay. So, um, let's choose the sense door of ears of listening. I'm choosing that <laughs> at this point. Staying at contact means, yeah, feel your seat, let yourself arrive here and now. And in a way, we're making an intention. I'm going to stay with the contact of the ear door. Doorway, it's like a doorway. Just hang out, rest, let the awareness rest. It's like just open to hearing, so there's an openness. And we hear the yawn. Did you hear that? Right, just letting the contact of it, which can only be known in the immediacy, as the sound it appears touches the sensitive organ of the ear. Right? Now, keep staying with sound. Often, of course, there's gaps in the sound and we kind of wander off because there's nothing much going on to take our attention. But if you can stay with sound as we develop this capacity to abide, to abide here and now, staying with listening, there's the sigh, right, there's all our little movements in the room, there's of course my words that are also simply coming touching, just immediately in the moment, just poof, they're just known, they're just recognized, they're just sound. Main becomes sensitive to the silence as we stay with the ear door of listening. Almost like the silence is another kind of contact. Touching, it seems, the ears, receptive to that simple knowing of the sounds, my words, they drop away moment by moment by moment to the silence. Breathing, we don't have to hold our breath to stay at contact, it's not like that. And what we might notice, what we might notice is the capacity to abide at contact. In this case, just hearing. I'll just put in a little poem that always used to help me here. It's a Zen poem. They're very good at pointing to this. Listen to it. it. Goes, old pond. Frog jumps in. Plop. It's like right there. Not adding anything. Not taking anything away from it. It's extraordinary that a frog grows plop, actually. In fact, the more we can hang out right at this very moment without adding or subtracting, the more extraordinary and the more simple. There's a brightness, an illuminated quality to what we are that we often overlook. that simply knows, that can simply rest, that doesn't simply rest, it simply, it simply knows contact without doing anything with it. Right now. And in, often in the Theravada teachings, we're more initially pointing to the ways that we get bound and the ways that we cling, because we need to understand that to recognize there isn't actually something inherently there that I can cling to. 
But in the Dharma, the Buddha Dharma is also pointing to the knowing of the non-building, the knowing of the non-clinging. And you may have seen on the weekend who we shared the days with, the first few days downstairs in the big hall, was the Chan guys. Their retreat was called Silent Illumination. Silent Illumination. Pointing to that settling back, the knowing where contact can arise and be known moment by moment without something having to be taken hold of, actually. The beautiful, clear, simple teaching of the Buddha, and you can practice this um, where he says, in the seeing, just the seeing. Can you, can you sense that? This isn't something for later. It, it, that's what's so beautiful about these teachings. You have to stay really current. That's not something for later. It's always something for now. In the seeing, so if you let your eyes, you can let them open, or you can have them close and have the in. Actually, let them open for a minute. Let them open. Let them rest back into their sockets. Let the sight that is in front of you come to you, the contact, the colour perhaps of the curtains or the person in front of you's jumper, just the colour, like just letting the colour, the contact of it be known, the shape, the form, simple, nothing added, <coughs> nothing taken away. Staying at contact. Resting at contact. You might want to practice outside with a tree. The first time I heard this teaching went outside to the tree. A tree. Sensing the body, abiding here and letting the sight come. Just the seeing. Because often we go out to sight, we go out and do something with it, right? Just letting it, letting the contact be known. Nothing to do there. The texture, the colour, the form. Of course, mind might start talking about trees, it's okay. But keep coming back to the contact. Simple, so bare. And yet this juncture is so potentially profound, and we'll look further into that. And the first time that I did that, was I could sense the potential profundity in it, in the simplicity. And after 30 seconds, it's like, right, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, if I, and as I listened to my mind, what was happening as I moved away was, well, that's very nice, but what's in it for me? Right? And actually, that's a very good question. It's a very good question, not at all what we think. So practice contact, the tangible sense, feet touching earth, standing outside, just that simple, basic contact, foot on the ground. With the sense that cognizes, it's a little more tricky because that's where we get identified very quickly with our thoughts. Um, you can try it out to settle back and to simply see the contact of thought arising like a little flicker without making something of it or pushing it away. Because that's a sticky one, you can see where you go with it. Uh, Come back to something a little bit more concrete and grounded is often useful. And the other place you can practice this staying at contact. So you might just say, okay, this lunchtime for 30 minutes, I'm just going to go outside and choose a sense door, eyes, ears, nose, whatever, and stay with it. See what it's like to stay, to really abide at sense contact. 
Um, the other place you can practice it is to sense the totality of the sense contact. So what that means is you might be sitting. Maybe you can sense this now, actually, if you like. You come in to sit, and you feel your backside on the cushion, and there's a global sense. There's a sense of the whole of you sitting there. And you're not trying to do something, but neither are you disappearing. You're here. There's a here-ness to it. And you're not focusing on one sense in particular, but there's the whole sense of the contact right now. Sometimes you might, and in the, you might experience it as a, like the flickering, just the flickering, a kind of little scintillating flicker of contact. Nothing there to make more of or push away. It's like a flickering, shimmering. And shimmering doesn't mean it's grand here, although, you know, it might be beautiful. But the shimmer of the touch of life, as we learn more and more to become organs of direct perception, rather than just organs of repetition. So we're keeping the metta practice. This will be a thread throughout our retreat. We're keeping the metta practice but at times during the day, or as you come to sit, if this makes sense to you, you have the option now to practice staying at contact. The option, and try it out. Spend some time doing that in the walking period, in the sitting period. But yes, the meta also as the home base, because we want to support here we have the beautiful words from the Buddha at the beginning. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one can sustain this recollection. This is the metta recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, so here's where we're starting to orient to clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. Okay, so let's sit for a minute together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.